Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Korean food is not a linear meal. It's almost like throwing paint on the wall. It's a splatter thing. As a chef, I couldn't really figure out how do I take the essence of Korean food and put it into a Western format. And what I realized was, let's not try to fit it into this model of linear or Western format. Let's just let it feel like K-Town. Make it feel like your life. Hello, hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Get Down with Cape Town, which has been a long time coming. I'm your host, chef and restaurateur Esther Choi. This podcast was supposed to launch right around the time when the pandemic hit. But as you know, in the past few months, our entire world has gone upside down. So we had to postpone our premiere. I'm super excited that we're finally back on track, but I do feel like it's important to acknowledge that all of these episodes for season one were recorded prior to the pandemic. Just to give you a little context, this was all before COVID-19, the social movements, and all the other insanity going on in the world. So there are no references to these events in our conversations. Everyone has been affected by this, and as a restaurant owner, I cannot even begin to tell you how difficult this has been for our industry. For now, this podcast is purely for entertainment, cultural acknowledgement, and just positive vibes all around. So hopefully this series will bring some shining light to this seemingly dark world. So obviously it's only appropriate for me to start the very first episode of this podcast with a chef who personally is one of my heroes. He truly is a pioneer and a man of real hospitality. I mean, seriously, he brought me cookies to the recording. Like, who does that? The only guest that brought me a gift. He's a man of wisdom and true influence in Korean culture here in America. The one and only Chef Boy Choi. This is really a special moment for me. 
because possibly the most influential Korean American chef to the Korean food scene here in America has to be Roy Choi. And he's sitting across from me right now. <laughs> okay, so chef, I have to get this out of the way and just say it because you've been really a huge inspiration in my life, um, in my career. And I'm sure this goes to say for a lot of younger Korean American chefs out there that's, you know, trying to make it. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but what do you feel when people say that to you? Well, thank you. Uh, this is the first time I've been above Dave Chang in this <laughs> conversation. So there you go, Dave. Finally, <laughs> Sorry, man. It, it, took me, it took me 11 years. Man. <laughs> it's definitely humbling and it feels great. And I know what it was like to be a Korean that was outcast and like, especially an Asian kid that didn't have many role models and like didn't know who to who to look up to and what I was supposed to be. So I realized that it took a while, but I realized that that I became that person for a lot of other other folks out there. Like me. And so, yeah, oh, thank you. So it doesn't like really affect me in the f sense where I, I psych myself out over it, but I am aware of it. And I do try to do just like, I don't try to be a role model, but I try to do dope shit. You know, like I try to, instead of trying to be like perfect or too careful about my image or who I am or if I'm going to offend things or anything, I, I actually go the opposite direction mm -hmm. and I try to push even further. And because I realize like the maybe I, I'm hoping that maybe why people maybe look to me in that way or maybe just are influenced because of the stuff that we already did. Yeah. And what we did was Kogi was a group of bandits, you know, that started feeding the streets and, and breaking rules and doing things that weren't customary, you know, that weren't standard. And that's exactly who we are. I hate like, creative you know you know you have your bands that you you love when you're young and then like they become worse as the years go on mm -hmm. or you become more vanilla as the years go on and i never want to be that for for myself or for anyone so and you haven't yeah so, <laughs> so i just keep trying to do dope shit and push the envelope and like do new creative stuff and then like i, I think what it's done is it's given me the freedom and the trust that whenever an idea comes to me instead of overanalyzing it, i realize that a lot of people got my back and i just go for it you know so yeah, and I think that spirit is what makes you you. Yeah, yeah, and that's why every generation, people, even now, 11, 12 years later since Kogi happened, I still get that same energy from folks. Uh, I just got it from you, yeah. and I get it from everyone where they stop me on the street and they just tell me I ch they, that I changed their life. You know, that stuff is like, that stuff is heavy. That's it's like I literally, I literally changed their life, and mm -hmm. um, I've never met them before, and that, that type of stuff is pretty heavy. So Kogi Barbecue, LA's most iconic food truck that gave birth to the concept of Korean-Mexican tacos, and also, I feel like Kogi was really what started the whole fusion food world, right? I mean, it started a lot of things like the food truck movement, the idea of what fusion food is, the way people eat. It really like impacted the scene in food so heavily. I think what we did was we gave a lot of people a voice. Yeah. Because there were movements before us, but those were very insular in the fact that you and I are both chefs. They were, they related to chefs and it was something that we as young cooks looked up to. But what Kogi did was we broke down the walls and created a bridge between not just people that were in the culinary world, but the whole neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So the whole block got to participate, you know? Yeah. So like, even if you were just a backyard cook or a good barbecue cook, or if you made great cookies or whatever it is that you did, you felt like your voice was being heard and that someone was listening or talking to you. And 
That was the difference between Kogi and maybe some of the other casual chef movements that happened before us. It's almost like a social movement. Yeah, ours just spoke, like we, we spoke to everybody. Yeah, it know? resonated yeah. in every industry, mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, everything. How did this idea come to be? Did you wake up one day and like, oh, I'm going to make this like crazy movement? Like how, how did this manifest? It kind of happened like that. It was a it, it was a series of perfect storm events. We actually started right here. Uh, we're recording right here in Hollywood on um, right near like Kohanga and Sunset. So like we started right by Amoeba Records, which is the next street down mm-hmm. on Ivar. What happened a few months earlier? We started in November two thousand eight, and it was the uh, opening night of Twilight, the movie. And and we oh started we started at the same time they were showing the first screening of Twilight at the Cinerama Dome. And so the whole street was packed with a bunch of Twilight fans and then and then a bunch of clubbers. It was a club night. It was Asian mm-hmm. club night. And then, and then it was us and the people couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. But Wait, uh, so this was like plan- like you knew that? No, we didn't all- know. No, we got we, so we it was started not intentional. Because we got kicked out of our first spot. We, we first went to West Hollywood uh-huh. and we got kicked out, came here and we were just driving. And then we saw the club that it was club night. And our, our idea, because there was only four or five of us in the truck, and we mm-hmm. were like, listen, let's give the burritos to the bouncers. They're going to love it, and they're going to let us park right here. And it worked. That's awesome. Yeah, it worked. But a few months before that, what happened was I lost my job, and I was a chef of – I was a, like a big hotel chef, corporate mm-hmm. chef for about 10 years up until that time, and lost my job, and the economy crashed in 2008. I don't know if you all remember, but there was the huge real estate crisis and of mortgage course. crisis. and. You know, it was a pretty depressing time in America. But then at the same time, the technology was just starting to come up as well. So like I thought social media, social media just came out. No one really had Twitter accounts at that time. Yeah. You know, there was none of the other stuff that we have now. It was only Twitter, Facebook. And then we were on the back end of MySpace. Yeah. Oh, my God. MySpace. Yeah. We were on the back end of MySpace. <laughs> and even there was even a trickle of Friendster still around. And so we were in the first year of Twitter. No one really knew what to do with it outside of the tech community. So we just took it in our hands and and. So you just like came up with this idea. Let's use Twitter and have people. Yeah, fuck. it wasn't even really an idea. It was like it, it was like let's just post this stuff on this thing and let's post our locations and we're just gonna keep give people updates and we treated it like we were kind of texting each other or mm-hmm. group messaging and we just kept. Saying, you know what, we got kicked out of here, we're going to move over there. And what happened was it created a scavenger hunt for folks. And a lot of people thought that it was this huge major plan. Mm-hmm. But literally, if you saw the inside, we were just literally figuring it out. That's what well. I was going to ask you. Yeah. I was like, was this like a crazy like plan, like all the stars aligned so perfectly? But uh-huh. really, it was born out of necessity. Like you had to keep moving your truck around yeah. because you were parked illegally or... Yeah. Or whatnot. And Twitter was free. And, and again, at that time, no one really knew, like, there was really no, like, mobile social media at that time. It's hard to imagine that was only a decade ago because now you couldn't live life without it. But at that time, everything was kind of stationary. Like, you weren't, like, constantly updating your MySpace from your phone, yeah. you know, in 08. So this, people really couldn't understand, like, this idea of constantly giving people updates of where what you're doing, what mm-hmm. you're thinking, just random thoughts of like, you know, my eyebrow is sweating and just saying those weird things, you know, and just putting them out there in the universe. Mm-hmm. That was unheard of. And Kogi kind of uh, created that kind of template f- to just be weird and random in yourself. And then and then there was a little prize at the end of it. Which was the taco? Well, I don't think that was a little prize. Yeah. We, I mean, we have to talk about the food because obviously, if that prize isn't like 
fucking amazing, yeah. it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So to going to the food, because obviously for me, I think that was really what was just so significant. And not only, I guess, what you did in terms of like that movement, but in the Korean scene, like to for this chef to all of a sudden make this concept. Yeah. Which kind of like already existed in like our own world. Like we grew up eating. Like you, mm-hmm. I'm sure you put kimchi on pizza. And yeah. You were doing this at home eating anyway. But to actually do that as a concept was a whole different thing. A lot of it was very personal. Even though like I'm Korean, my blood's Korean, I rep Korea. I'm from K-Town. Obviously, my parents are from Korea. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I you know what... You were born in Korea too. Yeah, I was born in Korea. I know what it's like to be Korean, but I'm not Korean. You know what I mean? Like I grew up right here in LA and it's like... I never think Korean. I never thought Korean. I always had this very difficult relationship with first-generation Koreans because mm-hmm. um, I don't speak the language that well and my thought patterns are different. And it's just like the society is a little too conservative for who, who I am as a person. And so I always had this kind of like push and pull with it. And then as a chef, I was trying to figure out like what is what am I going to be as a chef? And as I was coming up, I, I just decided that I wanted to be a French chef, you know, and I didn't even think about cooking with Asian flavors. I almost like... It was, you uh, had to do French Yeah, I wasn't trying to be whitewashed or anything like that. I was just like, that's not what I, I that's not what I want to do, mm-hmm. you know. That's my family life and this is my professional life. Plus, I wasn't trained in it. I grew up in a Korean restaurant, but it's like, I, I'm a kid. I never really paid attention, you know. Like when your parents are running a restaurant, it's not like this... Uh, you know, Disney movie where, like, you're groomed from the beginning, you know, like, to be honest, you don't really, you're just not even paying attention, you know. But, but some of your, like, fondest food memories come from the restaurant. Yeah, I was a right? good eater. Like, I wasn't a good <laughs> chef, but I eat, I eat, motherfucker, I eat the fuck out of shit, man. I eat the fuck out of pindet duck and kimchi. I, I used to eat, I mean, like. you become a chef because you love fucking eating, right? Yeah, I, I used mean, to eat, like, four bops at a time, you know. Um, so I love eating, but. I didn't I didn't know there were a couple of things. One, I again I had this difficult relationship with being Korean. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was Korean is Korean food is not a linear meal, which what I mean by that it doesn't start with appetizer, entree, mm-hmm. and dessert. And it doesn't go from one place to the other. It's this it's almost like throwing paint on the wall. It's a splatter thing. So I, I was as a chef I couldn't really figure out how do I take the essence of Korean food and put it into a Western format. And when I saw people do it, when I ate people's food that were doing it, I, it was just always missing something. And so I just always thought that there was never, ever going to be an answer for that. You know, to be honest, I, I didn't think that anyone would figure it out. Then Dave came out with Momofuku in uh, 04 or 06 or whatever year that was. And then, but that was so far away from me, you know, yeah. and I, I, you know, I appreciated the movement of what Momofuku was doing. And I was, you know, he was a hero of mine at that time, and I really looked up to it, but it was so far away, and I never tasted it, and it was so different than L.A. life. New York life and L.A. life are so, so different. different. And I couldn't relate to it on a creative level. So, again, I just but like— But this got you thinking about— I for, It got me thinking, but it was never really, like, something that was consciously I felt like I had to do. And then when I lost everything, and I lost my job, and my friend called me and said, Listen, man, I got this truck— Let's mm-hmm. put Korean barbecue in a tortilla. Let's go out in front of the club, man. We're going to fucking kill it. When he said those words, something happened inside of me. Mm-hmm. And something opened up. And what I realized was, let's not try to fit it into this model of linear or Western format. Let's just let it feel like K-Town. Make it feel like your life. Make mm-hmm. it feel like 
you want to feel how you felt on the couch, how you felt with your mom, how how you felt in the back of the car, how you felt in the restaurant doing homework, how, you know, how, how you felt when your grandma pinches you, all these little things, you know, and then what happened was I put it all, my heart and soul and everything into that one little bite. So technically it was like the feeling of the whole Korean barbecue experience from the salad you get it in the beginning to the to the barbecue to the soup at the end it was all of that in one bite and then it was everything you felt growing up like low riding eating tacos making carne asada drinking Budweiser you know hanging out wearing dickies and uh, just, just being in LA and it was like those two things my whole life together I finally found a way to put them all together into one poem and that poem was the Kogi Taco that is crazy like yeah. you were so it's not even Korean so at all so emotional yeah, I'm very. Almost. I'm a Pisces, so. <laughs> but it's not even. It's curly. like so deep, like yeah. damn. And that's why it resonate it resonated to so many people, and it still resonates now because it's not Korean. It's not Korean Mexican fusion, as people want to call it. You know, yeah, it's L.A. It's, it's you. It's L.A. It's me. It's a lot of us. It's a lot of it's a lot of us that grew up in immigrant families. It's um, a lot of things that we couldn't say or express growing up or all of the things you feel and it happens even now all the things you feel as a immigrant person in this country sometimes there are moments and those of you that are listening that that have experienced this you know what it is is that there are moments in life or interactions in life where you can't fully get out what you're feeling because the circumstances may not allow it you may be in a situation where you can't speak up you you may be getting hit with subversive passive aggressive racist situations you may not be able to express yourself to your parents all these little things all these little emotions sometimes there's no avenues for that in media you don't have a lot of people that are expressing the same thoughts that you're feeling Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't see the same faces you don't hear the same voices that you hear in your head so kogi was like answering all of that into a bite ready okay give me a beat Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. It's like an identity it is. It it's is. an identity. And that's like a big part of who you are. Like your upbringing here in L.A. really influenced your food, but also yourself as a Korean. You like went to Korean and taught English. You were still very close to your Korean identity. Mm-hmm. Right? I, um, I tried to, you know. Um, I spent, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I, I, I think, I, I'm sure this generation still deals with it too. But I, even though I, I butt heads with my Korean heritage, I always tried to like, Still get, be in get it. Get them to understand me, yeah. you know? I always, like, wanted to argue with them, be like, yo, like, like I'm just as fucking Korean as you. Were you, you know? like, ever embarrassed to be Korean? I was like, never, you- not personally I wasn't, like, mm-hmm. I was, but I felt like Koreans were embarrassed to to include me into the tribe. Oh, that's a different thing. Though. Yeah, but like, I I was never embarrassed, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I wore, I wore my, even in high school, I wore my Korea bomber jacket everywhere I went. <laughs> See, this is, like, really feel similar to you in this yeah. way where I feel very proud of being Korean. I've yeah. always felt like that. I've never was embarrassed. We're lucky because we live we grew up on the coast. You grew up in New Jersey, is that Jersey. Correct? Jersey. Yeah. Jersey. Mm-hmm. I grew up in LA. But you know, it's hard for a lot of the Asian American kids that grow up in the middle of the country. Yeah. You know, you sometimes have to live these these very stark double lives, you know, because you may be one of one. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't understand. But yeah, I mean, I tried to be Korean. I, um, I tried to be Korean. <laughs> tried to be That's Korean. the name of this uh. podcast. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just never really connected all the way. But I tried. You know, I went out to Korea. I tried to learn the language. Do you speak I, any Korean now? I understand almost everything. Mm-hmm. I can I can read, but I just can't speak. I don't know why. I, I think it's the psychological roadblock that I have that that all the things that I just explained growing up with, mm-hmm. like something stops me. I know the words and I know and I understand everything. But for some That's reason, I can't speak, you know, and I, I think it's something psychological within me. But yeah, I, I, I went to Yonsei. I, I went to the programs. I, I taught at Korea University. I taught English. How old were you when? when I was teaching English. I was 24. Okay. Was this before you started cooking or after? Yeah, it was before. I feel it like was... you had like a million lives. Yeah, I've, I've been through a lot. There's a lot of this about how cooking saved your life. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? I'm a very addictive person. I had an addiction to gambling um, in my 20s. Right around that time in Korea, I actually kind of went to Korea to kind of reset and escape. You know, I've been very fortunate and lucky that I have a very good family. And one thing you got to know about a lot of Korean families is even if we ain't got money, everyone's always there to 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 hold you down. You know what I mean? Like whether you're rich or poor, they're always going to find ways to make sure there's food on the table, there's clothes on your back. And... Um, that if you're fucking up, that they're going to figure out ways to ship you to Korea and try to get your life together. You know what I mean? So it's Oh, I like, know about all that. Yeah. So that was during the time where, like, I was really, really, I was a very fragile person. I was out here just drinking, mm-hmm. gambling. I was burning bridges left and right. So I went out to Korea, tried to reset. That really didn't, didn't help because I just started partying out there. But, yeah, really it was just to make money. Like, the, the teaching part was to make money and— I don't think I was a great teacher, but I I think there were moments where I was great. 
but I was still too young and I was partying too much. There's sometimes I didn't show up to class. I think back now and it's like I feel bad for some of the it wasn't like all the time. It was like <laughs> it was like all the time. I would say like ninety five percent of the time. I mean, come on. Like, you were in your twenties and you're a Korean boy. I I know. Yeah, Korean American and like like the the student I I don't know. Ever since I was young I was always able to be like be able to attract people. You mm-hmm. know, like I always had this kind of like charisma. vibe, this charisma with people. And so like my classes started getting real big. It was mm-hmm. like fucking Indiana Jones, you know, like <laughs> like oh the classes start getting big and like I guess the word got around, like, because I make the classes really fun. You know, mm-hmm. I I do shit like, you know, throw the textbook in the trash. Let's just talk and all this stuff. So my classes got real popular and and it was something really great, you know, especially being that young and, and kind of like not fully together, like as far as like what I wanted to do in life. It was it was very like um, inspiring, but uh, and it it's gave like me a lot of, of like, energy. Yeah, like it almost shaped your sense of leadership. Oh, yeah. It yeah. sensed my leadership. um Hella girls were like all into me, you know, shit like that. I'm, t- I'm it's you all know, about when, the ladies. Yeah, when you're a teacher in Korea speaking English, fuck, dude, like it's crazy. So that happened, and then you started cooking because you got into some, some shit, and then you started. Well, cooking happened after I came back from Korea, and again, just try to, try to figure out life, and you know, it took a while, but around 25 or 26, around there, around 25, you know, I was continuing to spiral downward and mm-hmm. not in a good place. There was only a few friends left that were, would still return my phone calls and, and, and be down for me. And one of them was my best friend, Yogi. And I was sleeping on his couch. And I woke up around this time, maybe around 11 or 12 in the afternoon. And uh, the Essence of Emerald show was on. Mm-hmm. And um, I had an out-of-body experience. I don't know if any wow, of you... Wow, this is like a very specific moment. It was a moment. I, I ran out of all my choices at that point And I don't know if any of you had an out-of-body experience, but um, shit's kind of real. So it was like I had this moment where everything just crystallized, and I I felt like he was talking to me, and I felt like that moment was like, you know, like you got two doors to choose from. You know, it was very clear. It was extremely clear. Like he said those words? Yeah, yeah. It was extremely clear. Like, what are you doing? You need to get up, get your shit together, and come with me this way. And obviously, I could have like not listened to it and mm-hmm. continued the path, but um, for some reason, I listened to it and I just uh, I got possessed. I started from that moment. I just started turning everything around. I um, I started selling mutual funds. Mm-hmm. I, I passed my Series Six and Series Seven. I started making a lot of money. I started paying back all my debts. I started taking what? night night classes at this culinary school here in West Hollywood. I started staging at restaurants. I would go to bookstores and just spend like hours and just researching chefs. I knew nothing about this world. And so I started getting into like all these old programs of Jacques Pepin and and, um, Julia Child. And just my whole world became completely engulfed in in culinary. And then I decided to apply to culinary school. And then you moved to New York. I moved to New York. And again, those were a lot of like series of events and, and special things that allowed me these situations. Like my cousin was in his residency in New York. So I applied to the CIA and he gave me a futon for 250 bucks to, uh, a month to sleep on. If he wasn't there, I don't know if I would have been able to go to New York. So uh, went out there, staged in a bunch of restaurants in the village until I got my acceptance and then went up to Hyde Park and the rest is history. Yeah. Hyde Park, Hyde Park changed my life even more. Like Being at the CIA. Oh man! So you like, recommend culinary school for? Yeah, for me, like yeah. it, it, it completely saved my life because I was a class clown up until then, and I really 
kind of coasted through school and like and it was never interesting to me and I was like Spicoli from Fast Times. Like I'd show up to school stoned every single day and, and I, I was just not <laughs> a great student. The but only, I feel like but, you'd have to be really smart to be the class clown though. Yeah, I was in honors and all that stuff, <laughs> classes, but all, I think it was my Asian-ness that got me into like <laughs> everything. Like I fucking played, I parlayed that card for so long. <laughs> like people would look at me in like junior high and high school and be like, oh, that kid needs to be in the honors program or AP class. <laughs> like, yeah, and sure. you wrote that shit. I wrote that shit forever. <laughs> but um. Uh, and I just found like little tweaks and MacGyver ways to figure out like how to get You're somewhat street decent grades. Yeah, it. street smarts. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I stepped on, um, I guess the main thing was I was never interested in anything. And then when I stepped on the campus at High Park, it blew my mind. You know, it just like came together everything. Yeah, in the universe. I was interested. Yeah, you know, you like, actually I was, liked to learn. I want. I woke up early. I studied. I was like the one in class that raised his hand. You know, I knew the answer. You mm-hmm. know, like back. In my other schooling, I never knew the answer. I, it was every time like I had to answer something, it was always mixed. It was a recipe of like half bullshit, half thick, half like a, a little bit of like I may know some like top line notes, and the rest was like you know just fill it in with like your charm. And so it was like this three part recipe of like answering a question. But this time with culinary school, it's like I knew the answers, and it um, and you wanted to know the answers. Yeah, and, and it was great. Man, it was really great. Obviously, since then, you've won, like, every fucking award possible. (laughs) Best chef for food and wine. Honestly, you know, everyone knows you won, like, every award possible. Since then, what about your restaurants? Like, you've opened several restaurants. Because being a chef and being a restaurateur, Mm -hmm. totally different thing. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's I mean, really you, know, hard. You, you know that. You run restaurants too, I right? run restaurants, and obviously I started out because I love cooking, mm-hmm. but really right now I'm just like trying to figure out yeah. how to run all my restaurants. Uh, so that's a big thing I want to talk to you about. So you have several restaurants right now. How many do you have? Well, they change every, every few years or so because the tough part of re- opening restaurants is that eventually one day they may close. And a lot of people don't talk about oh, that. So I... I haven't closed a restaurant yet, mm-hmm. and um, I know it's going to happen sometime very soon. And sometimes <laughs> so. they don't close for the worst reasons. You know, sometimes it may be like your lease is up, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. And that neighborhood, because your restaurant was popular in that neighborhood yeah. for the last 10 years, it raised the, the rent and the value of that neighborhood. It has nothing to do f- with, I mean, fivefold, it's a life cycle, you know? right? It's a life cycle. and But no one ever talks about that. People only like to talk about either the opening or the award or the accolades. And it's really hard to to talk about something that was a baby of yours, that is a baby of yours, that is a creative child that mm-hmm. that and there are people within that that creative child that are real people that you've been with for the last ten years. It's really hard to wind down a restaurant. So what I'm leading towards is last year, actually 2018 and part of 19, mm-hmm. I had a very difficult year as a restaurateur. Okay. I had to close four different restaurants mm-hmm. uh, for different reasons. So I had uh, the big project, which was the Line Hotel um, yeah, the... in Koreatown, mm-hmm. and that had mm-hmm. pot, commissary, yep. cafe, all this stuff. Uh, we had a five-year uh, contract with that company, and it ended. And they wanted to go a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um but from the outside, it looks like it failed. But it didn't fail. It was just that we as business people didn't want to continue the relationship. Yeah, it happens. And, but it was tough because you have to – you build up all this energy to make that place amazing and full. And then you have to like kind of 
unravel and unwind all of that back, you know. So there was that. We had to transition Chego out of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And then I just recently reached the end of a 10-year lease for A-Frame on the west side, mm -hmm. which um, that one hurt a lot because, again, the business partner and I wanted to go in different directions and um, the rent was too much. And so he sold the property. But on another side, those restaurants also were a life cycle for me. Um, I feel like as much as I would still want them to be open, I feel like... Do you, though, for, for real? I, I, I do as a person, but mm -hmm. creatively, I'm, I, I, I've kind of grown past those things, and I've, I have other concepts in my mind. So in a way, it's a blessing because it's opened up my plate to open maybe new restaurants still hurts. So I was going that's really inspiring though because you don't have to like really think of it as a failure because it's not. Not always. Some some are failures, but not all closures are failures. So that's yeah. very important to 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 know the difference and and to accept the difference between the two. Sometimes things just end, you know, and they've lived their life. They, and sometimes you have to be honest with yourself too. Like are you putting as much energy into a concept as you did from the beginning. Sometimes I see I see oh, people not hard, being though. honest with themselves. Yeah. You know, like you open up two, three, four different concepts. Um, you have to think about, are you, like, there may be a concept within your portfolio. Are you giving it your all all the time? Because the thing about restaurants is if you're not giving it your all all the time, then they are going to eventually fall off. It's very apparent when, very when apparent. the owner people is not. People feel it. Yeah. The energy is not the same. Your staff doesn't is not inspired as much anymore because you're not there. And um, how do you find that balance though? Like when you're opening like so many restaurants and you have like a million things you want to do, and obviously you have so many projects yeah. going on. That how do you find that? For me, and this is just for me, I've decided from the beginning to take less money and less responsibility and focus on the things that I really care about. Mm -hmm. And so I stay with the project all the way through until I'm not. But what I mean by that is like, for example, A-Frame was a restaurant where I didn't technically own it. I was the creative uh, partner. So I'm not like fully invested where I get the larger piece of the pie of whatever profit or whatever it makes. I just get a small percentage that I get paid out of the revenue. Mm -hmm. But I don't. Ha but my business partner runs the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm fully invested and involved in running the creative. It's my same thing with this new restaurant I opened last year called Best Friend, mm -hmm. where um, in Vegas, right? In Vegas, where our company is just a creative licensing partner. So we we manage, oversee all of the creative aspects, the food, the the service, DNA, and and the philosophy. But the labor, the the budgets, all that stuff is run by MGM. Okay. So. To me, is it was because I, I'm a chef and I don't really think in terms of money. It mm -hmm. wasn't about getting rich out of each endeavor. It was about creating really amazing experiences for the people, yeah. right? So I decided early on it's okay to take less money and less responsibility as long as I'm in control of the things that I think are most important. For you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that, that allowed me to open a lot of different concepts because uh, I was very fluid. Yeah. You know, it was like being... Um, it was like being kind of like a, a producer, yeah. you know, um, uh -huh. where I could create concepts, design them, make the menu, make the flavors, the DNA of the service. Yeah, things I love doing. So that that's how I was able to manage doing multiple projects. So in 10 years, we opened 
one, two, three, like seven, eight restaurants. Now I'm yeah, down. Now I'm down to. I have a bar called Alibi Room.、Mm-hmm. I have Kogi Takaria and the Kogi Trucks. Chego and Local are kind of like in a kind of transitional stage、mm-hmm. right now. And then I have Best Friend. But、uh, but what happened by by closing three or four restaurants in the last year and a half? It's opened up my plate to. I have three concepts in my mind right now that I want to put out there. Um, so it opens doors for more creativity, something that yeah you can experiment with, and I guess you're at a time of your career that、mm-hmm. you can really do that. Yeah, and、right? some pe- some people run their their things differently. Like some, like a Wolfgang Puck or a, like a Jean George or even a Dave Chang, they have a organization under one umbrella、yeah. that can. They can deploy their generals and their lieutenants and their green berets out there and go open restaurants around the world. For me, I've taken kind of a different strategy where each project I do is its own separate project. And again, I've decided to take a creative path rather than an operational path. And so, so you, you know, like to put your hands on every project that you do, like yeah, your own hands. And that's why, for me, like I'm not really around the world or、mm-hmm. even in New York because everything is just like a direct extension of myself. And really,、uh, each team is is like its own family. So, I don't know if I'll ever be a person that has corporate conglomeration where I have a restaurant in Dubai, Singapore. New York and Tokyo.、Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's in my future. It's not something I absolutely, you know, like your future can be created by a lot of what you envision and what you manifest. The power of thinking and creating something in your mind and what you want and that you desire. If you if you believe in it, it will come true in many cases.、Mm-hmm. And those are things that I don't dream about. Yeah, it's just、know? a matter of like what you want to do. What you want, and, and I, I feel like that's what makes you so special because you're like a true creative. You're a true like chef to me. Like I always say this term, like you're so chefy. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. Seventy courses. Let's get a water sport. Paddleboarding. Can I get excursions? Whale watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Apple. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Live Nation presents Concert Week now through May 14th. Get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com/concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, Oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, "Oh, wow, you look so good for your age." Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin. At the age you are now, meaningful beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at meaningfulbeauty.com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Like my dream is, I, I just want like a, a, a table like the size of this, like an eight-seat horse, horseshoe diner, where I'm just cooking every day. three or four things every day, and uh-huh. like you know, I got the TV on, and like I see the same faces. But that's what Kogi was supposed to be. It was supposed to be this little thing that I was able to touch every single taco every day, and we would just close and open the next day. I think your force got is busy. a little too uh, powerful yeah, for that. It got too busy. But even though the force is powerful, I've I've done things to try to still make it weird and quirky and and not be too corporate and again do things that are are just like true creative expressions. What's hap- been happening lately though is I've been getting into a lot of entertainment. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand because entertainment yeah. a lot of it is very creative as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? experience for you right now, like doing all of these shows, your new Netflix show, right? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that you have to confront, I guess, not only being a chef, but part of it being, see, the one thing about being a chef is like, once you become a chef, we're a profession in many, in many cases where it's almost like unheard of to, to unbe a chef. And what I mean by that is like, once you get the title of chef, it's like a lot of it's in your head, but it's still a lot of you amongst your peers as well. It's like, you can't just walk away from it and then all of a sudden become like a, a, a podcast producer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you can't just like stop being a chef because like, yeah. it's just, it's one of these things that, that sticks with you forever. And you either get ridiculed like, oh, that motherfucker sold out or he um, or he or she does, you know, doesn't love it anymore or whatever. Or they only use this as a stepping stone to get to this mm-hmm. or whatever. Sometimes if you're honest with yourself, things change. You evolve. My biggest goal in the world right now is not to continue to just open restaurants. I'm in a different place in my life. And uh, I like I still love cooking more mm-hmm. than ever. And all I'm doing on my shows is cooking. But I like sharing this knowledge with like a lot of people. And, you want to be influential. Yeah. And so, we, we, you know, we got the chef show and uh, got broken bread and got a couple other shows that we're, we're trying to um, in finalize. The pipeline. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the pipeline, finalize the negotiations. I'm like fascinated by this thing that you just said about chef because I, I guess as a yeah. young chef yeah. or whatever chef means in the first yeah. place, because I get very in my head about it mm-hmm. and it makes me self conscious all the time, yeah. even though. I know that that's what I'm good at. Like, that's one thing that I'm very sure about. Like, I know how to fucking cook, right? But I'm very self-conscious about the title or, like, the image of chef. I kind of wanted your advice to someone that is maybe a little confused about what that means. Well, it comes down to, and sometimes maturity obviously comes with age and experience, but it comes down to what you want. And what you truly, when you look in the mirror and you really think and you're sitting alone by yourself, what is it that you want to accomplish with your food? You know, mm-hmm. cooking 
chef cookery, like being a chef and in high-level kitchens is a very, very competitive sport, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are folks, I thrived in that environment at one time in my life, and there are folks that need that. I don't think that that should be obliterated. I think that there there needs to be a UFC environment within within the cooking world. If you go into kitchens in New York, it's extremely competitive. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculously competitive. And even when you get to this level, you know, as chefs, we love each other, but when we see each other, you're always constantly a little bit uh, checking. Tension. Yeah, tension, checking <laughs> Check each, each other. other, thinking like, you know, looking for looking for the mistake so or the flaw. So like, competitive. It's not malicious. It. It's not malicious. Mm -hmm. You're not, I'm not hoping for you to fail. It's just, I'm in that competitive mind, I'm just hoping that I'm always better than you, right? <laughs> right. So it's like that—that's that, always, always. Oh my god, I get really crazy yeah. about competition, and, and you can never fully, fully, truly appreciate that person's accomplishment because you're just like, that's not me, you know. Mm -hmm. So like, you taste their food and you're like, oh, that's good, that's good, great <laughs> job, you know. But uh, but inside, it's like it might be the best thing you ever ate, but you can't express that. So that's one level of being extremely competitive. But I've reached a stage in cooking where I already went through that. I have the skill set. I have the relationships and the friends. And I didn't want to continue being on that treadmill because in one sense, maybe I'm not good enough. In another sense, that wasn't my strong suit, and it wasn't something that I that I truly am on the inside. I could I could fake it. I could live that life for a certain amount of time, but it wasn't really who I was. And who I really was was I love to take care of people. So yeah, uh, you brought me cookies. Yeah. None of my guests has yeah. ever brought me anything. Yeah, yeah. That's so, crazy. I found a different way to cook. It's kind of like Bruce Lee creating Jikundo. You know, like you have to learn the fundamentals, and you have to figure out. Is your path in competitive fighting, is your path in teaching the tradition and the fundamentals, is your path in whatever it may be, but uh, maybe your path was to learn that and then create your own different technique and your own different philosophy. And, and mine, after I came out of all that, was uh, I just want to make people happy and take care and cook the most delicious food at the most affordable price. When you decide to go a path like that, what happens is you start to remove yourself from that circuit. And I was completely okay with it. I mean, you're sure of who you are as yeah. a person and with your career, so. I don't really get a lot of young cooks in my kitchens that are out of culinary school because I don't have an environment in my kitchens that fosters or nurtures this competitive growth, which is very important. If you're working in a kitchen like you Michelin, know, Michelin, or... Noma, you know any of any of these kitchens, you need that environment, and a lot of young cooks need that. They come to my kitchens and they see a very kind of like uh, free, grandmotherly hippie style kitchen. You know, I can where, resonate with that. Yeah, where everyone mm -hmm. is just like helping each other. So uh, my kitchen is a bunch of actually my kitchen is like 95 percent women. You know, I love be, that. To be honest, me too. Yeah, my and, my, and, my cooks, my chefs—they're all female. Yeah, and uh, it's all people I grew up with here, friends, mothers. I have probably 50, 60, 70 percent of uh, kogi are mothers. They cook like they're cooking at home, and that's why kogi is so good because they it's like took, home cooking. Yeah, it's home cooking. They took what what we created. But then they became our family, and we became their family, and then they just added their 
their philosophy to it. So it's still the same recipe, but they cook it again like they're cooking soup for their kids. And that's what Kogi's become. And that's the style of food that we cook. You know, we use dull knives, plastic colanders, wooden spoons, and, and, and it's just like the style of who we are. And again, as a young cook, Coming out of culinary school, if you if you work through like three or four really top notch kitchens, um, maybe you heard about me and you come and work in my kitchen. They're like, "Ah, oh, chef, this wasn't for me." And I get it. But that's um, fine too. That's fine yeah. too. But we're 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 putting our own imprint on on what it means to be a chef. And so on the positive end of that, I feel like there is that world of competitiveness. But what we're doing is we're we're opening it up for a new interpretation and understanding of what it means to be a, a top-level American chef. And that means it includes people that aren't just young, male, culinary, school-graduated, top-notch kitchens in New York City. It opens up the door for everybody, all races, all ages, all someone genders, like ethnicities, someone like you, so that you can find your place within this world and have your voice within the culinary world because the culinary world, and we're just talking about this insular culinary world of being a, a chef, is a very young Caucasian male-driven identity. You for know? sure. And yep. um, it's intimidating and sometimes very hard for someone that doesn't kind of like live within that ideology to get into this world. So we've created a whole other angle and now now people can – walk out of their office, make blueberry pies, and then become the best chef at Bon Appetit of 2025, you know? So we're just broadening, um, helping to broaden the idea of what it means to cook for each other. Well, Chef, thank you mm -hmm. for all you do for the industry and being at the forefront of that mm -hmm. and being so inspirational for me. I do this thing where I love to cook for my guests because in the end, I am a cook. And this is the first time that you're having my food, so I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sundubu, of course it's your favorite Korean food. You know what? I'm actually surprised because I feel like a lot of men like meat dishes, and yeah. you're like, I like sundubu and like kaibuksu, yeah. which is like a very, like, it's homey. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome. Yeah, okay. sundubu is uh, one of my favorite dishes. I grew up on it, and... Um, Can you kind of explain what sundubu is for Yeah, I'm listeners? looking at yours. It looks fantastic. So this is a uh, seafood, hemur sundubu, uh -huh. or soko sundubu, and uh, mm -hmm. sundubu is... Um, Soft silken tofu mixed into like this boiling cauldron, almost volcanic cauldron of spicy soup. And then it comes out to your table like bubbling like lava. And you crack an egg in it and mix it. And then... Sorry, I couldn't do that experience for oh, you. Oh, it's okay. Damn. Um, but what, I, what I've noticed is that, especially since I've been here in LA for so long, I think that this understanding of... I, I've explained this to other older Koreans and they argue with me, but I think that this understanding interpretation of sundubu is something that's really Korean-American versus Korean. Because mm -hmm. when you go to Korea, the, the maybe now it's changed because the cultures are crossed, but... Uh, it's like white. Korean sundubu is yeah. different. Is this, it? I think, came out of the necessity here in Los Angeles of the lack of ingredients in the 70s. It became like its own like pigeon hybrid stew of what we now understand as sundubu. But I took Anthony Bourdain to a sundubu restaurant. Which one? Uh, Beverly Sundubu. Okay. Is that the one that you recommend in LA? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really delicious there. Monica is amazing. But I can't wait to try this. So do oh, I eat great. now? Oh, great. Now I'm like so intimidated. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm eating sundubu. Mmm, that's delicious. 
Great job. I mean, it's what your grandma would make you. Or yeah, and it it's tastes very homey. Oh, this is very homey, very delicious. Lots of flavor. It's it's got the sundubu soul. You know, where sundubu is spicy, but it's not spicy where you can't eat. It, it's like this very rounded spice in sundubu, and it tastes very Korean and extremely authentic. And it doesn't taste like you're trying to make a fancy version of sundubu. No, like, I don't do that. You could open a sundubu <laughs> spot with this. Yeah, is no, what I'm saying. yeah, I don't do like fancified yeah. Korean food. I do like what my grandma made me mm. Korean food. Um, that's, this is really good. Oh, um, thank you. Well, I can't cook because I was never trained in it, and I didn't really pay attention. What I, but I grew up, I know the flavors. So the food that, if I was to cook this, what mm. it happens is it ends up being, again, like this remixed. It's like Korean-American. Yeah, and it's like this, it's not even fusion. It's like just complete extension of who I am. The ingredients are the same, but it tastes, it, I could never make something that tastes as authentic as this. I love that. So, I, I mean, just because, congrats. so like I grew up cooking with my grandma and my uh -huh. harmony is, Legit, the best fucking cook in the world. Oh, like yeah. she is amazing, and That's awesome. a big part of like what I do for me as my identity. It's my grandma's food that I want to put out in the world. Mm. It's what I grew up with. It's what I know. It's what I love the most. Like mm -hmm. I eat like a freaking uh, ajashi or haimoni. Yeah. Like that's how I like I eat like that. Like what you're doing right now. Can you describe it? I'm mixing. <laughs> I'm, so Korean. This is very yeah. I just she very taxi driver ish. Yeah. Um, I'm basically mixing her soup into my rice and making like a porridge out of it. That's and, so uh, fun. Yeah, that you only see that Koreans eat it like that too, yeah. right? It's like very. My dad like does this with everything. Yeah, this is so good. I'm gonna finish the whole thing. He's gonna eat it. All. I'm gonna eat the whole fucking I thing fucking right now. I love that. So you, I know that you love food because you're yeah. just gonna eat it all. The important part of sundubu when you make it like very authentic, like Korean. Yeah, how like do you this, make it authentic? Like I could never make this. The most important thing mm -hmm. about this is gochugirim. So gochugirim mm. is the pepper oil that you make. So you okay. have to heat up regular canola oil. And uh -huh. you add the kochukaru to it. Kochukaru is the okay. cream pepper flake. And then you kind of have to like let it steep in that hot oil. Uh -huh. It's almost like Chinese, the method, if you okay. think about it. And then you add your other like spices. But the kochukirim is like the soul of what sundubu oh, is. Oh, wow. And then you add everything else to that and make yeah. your soup from yeah. there? And the broth and everything's meant. I, so you make that like paste, which is kind of like your flavorings or the heart of sundubu. And then uh -huh. you add that to like your seafood broth, whatever, and then the tofu goes in the end and etc. Yeah, but sundubu, obviously it's about the tofu, but it's really about that kochugirim. So are you impressed by my sundubu? I think it's really delicious. I think you should stop doing whatever you're doing and open a sundubu spot in Korea. In, I would make a lot of money. <laughs> you should. More man. money than what I'm making now. <laughs> Again, we were talking about your evolution. This, I can feel, even though we just met, I can feel a lot of who you are in this soup. There's a lot of what it seems like this is this is truly you and there seems like there's something deeper in this. I feel like I'm gonna cry right now. And as oh you grow God. as a cook and as a chef, it, it's really special if you can get to a place where you're even if you're just cooking one thing, that that thing is something that people really, really resonate with. So if this is I haven't tasted any of your other cooking, but this really feels like something that is you generationally you and spiritually you so like if you had a shop that just served like four versions of a meat version a pork version a seafood version and a vegetable version of this and it was esther sundubu spot that would be that i think is, that would be like oh my god i'm like who you 
who you evolve as, as a chef. I'm dying. You mm-hmm. made my day. <laughs> Thank you, chef, so mm-hmm. much. Thank you. But I appreciate that because I feel like the food that I cook is very traditional. It's very emotional for me mm-hmm. um, with my family. And I feel like not a lot of Korean-American chefs are doing authentic Korean food or not even Korean chefs. And I feel like a lot of that culture is disappearing in terms of like very traditional Korean food, which is why I love the food in L.A. like so much. Yeah. It's like so I get very emotional when I think about it because a lot of that is disappearing. And The food in Queens is like that too. It seems like you're on your path to cooking what you really, who you really are. I'd like to see the Esther that cooks this in three years. Mm-hmm. And um, not that Mokbaro was bad, but mm-hmm. that, that that was a, the growth path to who you truly are going to become as a chef. For sure, 1,000%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, the, you're on your way. Thank you, chef. Uh-huh. Thank you. Um, chef, so where can mm-hmm. our listeners find you? I mean, just Google Kogi, K-O-G-I. That's how you find me. Of course, and yeah. then everything will come out. Yeah. Chef, thank you so much thank for being you. here. God, further inspiring me. And now I like love you even more. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Get Down with K-Town is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by our executive producer, Christopher Hasiotis, and me, Esther Choi. Follow me on all social media at Choi Bites. And I'd also like to thank our producer, editor, and mixer, Marcy Depina. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.